In our modern culture, the idea that it is wrong to judge the moral and religious beliefs of other peoples and cultures is becoming more and more prevalent. In our culture, it is often thought wrong to speak out against others' political, social, and religious beliefs, especially if these beliefs are backed by the political and corporate establishment. The main theme of this idea is that since everyone is correct in their moral beliefs, it is therefore wrong to think that one person or culture is objectively correct in its moral, social, and religious beliefs. However, this idea that morality is relative is extremely damaging to Christianity. So in this episode, I am going to discuss arguments for and against ethical relativism and show why ethical relativism is not rationally defensible. So I hope you'll stick around and learn how to defend objective morality. Welcome back, everyone. In this lecture, I'm going to be talking about ethical relativism and ethical objectivism. So we are moving on from, uh, we're still talking about step two, defending God's existence. And we just moved on from design arguments. Before that, we looked at cosmological arguments for God's existence. Well, in the next lecture, we are going to be looking at uh, the moral argument for God's existence and before we do that, I wanted to uh, talk about whether morality is objective or not. A big portion of the moral argument is asking whether morality is objective, and there's just so much uh, to cover. So I, I like to talk about this topic uh, in detail before we get to that argument. So in this video, I'm not going to be surveying moral arguments like I've kind of like our pattern was with cosmological and design arguments. In this video, I'm just going to mainly be talking about whether um, morality or ethics are relative or not, okay? And um, to begin, uh, we are switching our Bible passage for, these, for this lecture and the next. And for this lecture, our Bible passage is Romans 2, verses 14 through 15. And this passage states, so, when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. And I really like this passage when I think about the moral argument for God's existence. This, of course, is uh, another one coming from uh, the book of Romans from Paul, who was writing to the church at Rome in A.D. 57, around there, 58. And that church consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. And in this chapter, in chapter 2, Paul is telling the Jewish believers that they have no ground to think they are better than the sinful Gentiles because everyone sins, Jew and Gentile alike. And I think this is a very relevant passage and also a very interesting passage because it is talking about how even though the Gentiles weren't given the Mosaic law, they still act like they were uh, given portions of that law. They still act like they did receive portions of it because they knew the difference between right and wrong because God makes all humans such that all know right from wrong. 
even if he didn't, if, even if he doesn't specifically reveal laws to them, still, uh, just by being a human being, people know the difference between right and wrong. And one interesting thing that I've I've heard of and, and thought of is that you can use you could use this passage um, as as maybe a hypothesis and and try to study human nature and. What this is saying is that generally any people, any group of people, are they're going to have moral rules and, and general moral principles as individuals and as groups. And you could test this theory and, and look out in, in history and through the world. And, and I believe this would hold up. I mean, when you look at cultures across the globe, across history, uh, human beings generally do have a sense of right and wrong. And, and most every single culture has rules like do not murder and do not steal. So it's an interesting, it's interesting principle and interesting passage from uh, Paul here. Now for our question, our reflection questions, if you, are, if you are enjoying these, if you like to follow these along with the lectures, I've got a, a few for, for this lecture. The first one asks, Do moral arguments for God's existence state that atheists are incapable of being moral because they don't believe in God? That's really important, and we'll be touching on that right away. The second question is, Do moral arguments for God's existence state that atheists cannot even uh, use terms like good and bad without reference to God? The third question is, How does cultural relativism ultimately lead to individual relativism and the final one is, what provides a better explanation of universal human values? Is it ethical relativism or ethical objectivism? So you can be thinking about those reflection questions, and, and like always, I'll, I'll mention them again at the end of the lecture uh, to, to remind you of what those are. So in this lecture, like I said, we'll be talking about ethical relativism and ethical objectivism. So I think it's really good to go ahead and define these terms up front. What I'm going to be doing is um, talking about, uh, after I define ethical relativism and ethical objectivism, I'm going to discuss different types of ethical relativism, and then I am going to present and briefly go over just a, a, a few arguments for ethical relativism, and then I'm going to finish out the lecture by giving arguments for ethical objectivism, which I believe are far superior and, and just really easily seen to be more way more compelling and sound than the arguments for ethical relativism. So that's how the lecture is going to go. And here is our definition of ethical relativism, which I've gotten from my Intro to Philosophy book written by William Lawhead. Uh, he defines ethical relativism as the position that there are no objective or universally valid moral principles because all moral judgments are simply a matter of human opinion. Ethical relativism is the view that moral rules and moral values are relative to the individual or the culture. So moral rules are maybe the easiest way to explain this. If you're familiar with the objectivism, relativism distinction, or subjectivism, uh, objectivism distinction, what we're saying here when we say that ethical rules and ethical values are relative, it's basically saying that uh, ethical values and, and rules are closer to taste in food than they are uh, objective things like, like mathematical statements, for example. So 
if if I'm an ethical relativist, I'm going to believe that, say, more a moral rule like do not murder is relative to the individual or the culture. So depending on who you are, if it's to the individual, if you think murder is wrong, then that is right for you. But some people can think that murder is okay, and that would be okay for them because if morality is relative to the individual, then really uh, your what you think is true regarding morality is going to be different from person to person, and there's nothing contradictory about that because we're not saying that there's an objective standard binding on everybody. If morality is objective, then it's closer to mathematics, and I'll, I'll bring that uh, definition up here in a second. But uh, Doug, Doug, Dr. Douglas Groteis has uh, explains this well, I, I thought, in his um, Christian Apologetics book, and he says, the claim that moral truth is, he says that ethical relativism is the claim that moral truth is relative to the culture individual. So, um, I, I don't know, pretty easy, I mean, maybe pretty, uh, he uses relative in the <laughs> in the definition, so if you don't already know what it is, then maybe that one's a little tough. But yes, ethical relativism is saying that morality is, a sub, morality is subjective. It depends on the subject and what their beliefs are, or it depends on what culture it's in. Ethical objectivism is the view, so here's the definition again from Lawhead, ethical objectivism is the view that there are universal and objectively valid moral principles that are relative neither to the individual nor to society. So ethical objectivism is saying that uh, the ethical values and, and rules are, are more like mathematical statements than they are like taste in food. If ethical relativism is true, then moral statements like do not murder are more like taste in food, right? If I say I like barbecue and you say I like Mexican food, neither one of us is wrong because we're making we're making we're actually making statements more about ourselves than we are about the food. An ethical objectivist is saying that moral statements are more like mathematical statements. So one plus one equals two is an objective statement because it doesn't matter what your opinion is, doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. One plus one just equals two. You're either right or wrong about that statement because it's an objective statement. The statement is more about the object than it is the subject making the statement, if that makes sense. So an ethical objectivist is saying that a moral rule like it is wrong to murder is either correct or incorrect. And it doesn't matter who you are or what your opinion is. If, if an objectivist thinks that it is correct, that it is wrong to murder, then he or she is saying that it is wrong to murder no matter who you are and what culture you belong to, what time you lived in. And ethical objectivists generally think that rules like do not murder, do not steal, are objectively binding on every human being. And what I was going to talk about briefly, I forgot to mention this up front, was I was just going to give a, a, a super brief kind of background on where ethical relativism is coming from. Uh, you, you might, depending on who you are, you might think that this is a relatively new thing, but you may or may not be surprised to learn that this view actually goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks, at least as far as uh, Western philosophy is concerned. Yeah, so ethical relativism goes as far back as the 5th century BC with the Greek sophists. If you know who the sophists were, they were kind of like these philosophical... Um, mercenaries and they didn't really care about the truth as much as they cared about winning arguments and and making some money off of of using uh, logical uh, reasoning and, and logical tricks to 
to win an argument regardless of whether they believe what they were saying was truth or was true or not and um and and yeah so as far as the ancient as far back as the ancient greeks you have this some people already believing in ethical relativism having said that big name and very influential philosophers like plato and aristotle argued so well and so compellingly against ethical relativism that ethical relativism really was stamped out in ancient Greek philosophy. And because Western philosophers adopted a lot of what the ancients did uh, in medieval times, and medieval philosophy was dominated by Christian thought, you really don't see ethical relativism crop up again. Uh, it kind of, you kind of see it uh, pop up in the writings of Sextus Empiricus in the 2nd or 3rd century, but really it's, it, it's not big at all for, for hundreds of years. It's not until the, um, it's really not until the modern period that ethical relativism starts to make a comeback. You know, you've got uh, modern philosophers like Thomas Hobbes, are, he had an influential work, uh, that argued that morals were simply conventional rules adopted by people to make civilization possible. Other skeptical philosophers like David Hume made skeptical arguments that tried to shed doubt on the objectivity or at least the knowability of moral truths. And also, um, you know, all of this kind of skeptical and, and otherwise uh, modern philosophy shedding doubt on... Um, certain things really comes to a head also in the 19th and 20th centuries when you've got all these anthropologists doing research and really, in, at least in the Western world, um, bringing a consciousness of a, a, a really large consciousness of all the different people groups and all their different beliefs about what is right and wrong. And uh, so with with the more modern um and especially postmodern ideas about relativity of morality and shedding doubt on certain types of knowledge, coupled with a growing knowledge of different people's beliefs, you have a lot of people starting to argue that morality is relative. But, but like I said, this is a, this is a, a relatively recent... Uh, I mean, it goes as far back as the ancient Greeks, but... It is stamped out, and its popularity is recent, although the idea is really old. I mean, if you are watching this as a video, the reason why you've been staring at this picture is I believe it's a picture of the Persian, supposed to be a, an illustration of the Persian King Darius, okay? And just just a way to explain this, um, this idea of ethical relativism, uh, the idea, like I said, it goes back to the 5th century B.C., and you can specifically see it in the writings of the Greek historian Herodotus. Um, he wrote a work called The Histories, and in The Histories, he actually explains a story with the uh, Persian King Darius. And it seemed like in the story, King Darius is almost like doing this social experiment. But um, the way the story goes is that King Darius is at, at court one day, and these two people groups come up in front of them. Uh, one group are, are Greeks, and they come up in front of him, and he asks the Greeks, how much money would, they, would it take for them to 
eat the dead the excuse me how much money would it take for them to eat the bodies of their dead fathers how much money could he pay them for them to agree to do something like that and uh, the Greeks were just disgusted. They were like, we would never eat the bodies of our dead fathers. Like, it doesn't matter how much money you could ever pay us. We would never do that. That's disgusting to us. So he's like, okay, so they go away. Now, another group of people come in front of King Darius that day, and they, they're called the Kalatii. So that's uh, spelled C-A-L-L-A-T-I-A-E. And they come up in front of King Darius, and he asks the Kalatii, uh, would they? How much money would it take for them to consider burning the bodies of their dead fathers? And similar to the Greeks, the Kalatii are completely disgusted, and they just say there is no, there's no amount of money you could ever give us to burn the bodies of our dead fathers. Well, it, the story might sound really strange, but Herodotus is trying to make a point. Now, what what it turns out, if you didn't already know, the Greeks burned their dead, right? Um, cremated their dead, and as it turns out, the Kalatii ate the bodies of the dead. And Herodotus was using this example to show that it really seems like it, it. there is no object of right and wrong. It just depends on what you were raised with. So morality seems to be more of a social construct than anything. Okay, And then, like I said, um, at least as far as Western philosophy is concerned, uh, uh, Aristotle and Plato kind of bury uh, ethical relativism. But it starts to make a comeback um, after the modern turn in, in Western philosophy, and especially in the 19th and 20th century. Okay, so uh, having said all that, let's look... Well, before we start looking at uh, different types of ethical relativism, and I give some arguments for ethical relativism, I do want to point out a very important distinction called the fact-value distinction. Uh, talking about this distinction up front is going to help us in several places throughout this lecture whenever I point out different disagreements that people have and different problems with some of the views. Okay, So the fact-value distinction is defined as the distinction between facts, which are beliefs involving descriptions of how the world is, and values which are beliefs involving prescriptions of what morally ought to be. Okay, So it's really important to remember that there is a distinction to be made between what's called facts and values. Facts basically describe how the world is. Values describe how the world ought to be. Okay? Um, maybe one easy way or one way to talk about this is to kind of give an example. You know, if you are considering whether abortion is okay or not, uh, a question of fact involving abortion is whether a fetus is a human being or not. And a lot of times that will be a scientific question, maybe a philosophical question, but the question of whether a fetus is a human being is a question of fact. Okay. Now, a question of value would be um, human life is, is precious, right? Uh, human beings have some kind of intrinsic value, therefore it is wrong to kill them. So, uh, now, I do want to mention you, so a lot of times there's just disagreements over facts. People can disagree over just whether something's a fact or not. With values, you can have two different types of disagreements. You can, sometimes people will disagree over whether something is a value or not. And like take um, corporal punishment, for example. 
Some people might think it is okay to have corporal punishment, and some people might think it is, is morally wrong to have corporal punishment. This would be a disagreement over value. Now, uh, but sometimes you can have disagreement over the degree of the value. So, for example, two people might agree that corporal punishment is okay, but one person might not agree that the death penalty is okay, and the other, the other person might think the death penalty is not okay. So uh, they might think it's okay. They might both think it's okay to punish people, um, but as far as actually ending their life, they might think that that's taking it too far. Uh, and there's and there's other differences like that. But with facts, you can disagree on facts themselves, just how the world is. And with values, you can disagree over the values themselves or to the degrees of the value. But this is an important distinction, and like I said, you'll see it crop up several times throughout this lecture. So it's important to just go ahead and, and define that right up front. So having said all this, now I want to define really quickly four different types of ethical relativism because there's not just one. It's really a family of views. And you don't if someone's a relativist, they don't have to hold to just one of these. In our culture especially, and from individual to individual, um, there's, we're not saying that you have to be one or the other, okay? Uh, especially in our culture, you'll see different, t you'll see all four of these in different places. But even at the individual level, someone could uh, hold to these. So I'm gonna, I'm going to um, describe descriptive relativism, normative relativism, combinatorial relativism, and the principle of tolerance. Okay, so the first type is what's called descriptive relativism. This is defined as the view that what is considered right and wrong or the way moral principles are weighed relative to each other varies from culture to culture or person to person. Okay, it's, it's important to talk about descriptive relativism. Now, this isn't a type of relativism that you will see philosophers arguing for. You know, that's actually something I forgot to mention. In professional philosophy in the Western world, especially in, uh, in the United States, a lot of people find it surprising to hear that most, like the majority, a very high percentage of philosophers, especially ethicists, believe that morality is objective. Okay, it's actually kind of rare to find. I mean, it's not very rare, but it's not, let's say, it's not common to find a professional philosopher who actually thinks that morality is relative these days. Most ethicists believe that morality is relative. Uh, excuse me, that morality is objective, and they're trying to argue for which moral theory is the best. Now, this view of descriptive relativism, though, is not even something that uh, philosophers, that maybe even relativists, would defend. Descriptive relativism says that everybody has different views about things. Okay. And, and sometimes people take this to the too, too far and they think, well, everyone has different beliefs on what's right and wrong, so therefore morality is relative. And that would be what's called descriptive relativism, okay? And no one's arguing for that. I'll show you why when we get to the objections to ethical relativism. Normative relativism is usually what you're talking about if you're talking about ethical relativism. Normative relativism is defined as the view that everyone ought to act in accord with the agent's own society's code. What is right for one society is not necessarily right for another society. Now, normative relativism doesn't have to just be on the societal level. It can be 
like I've already mentioned when I was talking about ethical relativism, normative relativism can can normative relativism is basically this idea that morality is relative to the individual or the culture. Okay, and so it's not just at the societal level. I mean that that uh, definition I read kind of makes it sound like it is, but you can have normative relativism on the subjective, on the uh, individual level. You can have it on the conventional uh, societal level. So, just to show you, I've got two versions of uh, normative relativism uh, defined here from my philosophy book that I use in my intro class. Subjective ethical relativism is defined as the doctrine that what is right or wrong is solely a matter of each individual's personal opinion. That subjective ethical relativism is basically saying that morality is relative to the individual. Conventional ethical relativism is defined as the claim that what is really right or wrong is relative to each particular society. Um, so conventional ethical relativism is the belief that rel- uh, morality is relative to the culture. So one thing, though, that I want to point out is I think a lot of times when people hear of s- someone being an ethical relativist, that person might think that the ethical relativist can just decide uh, whatever they want to at any given point. I, uh, an interesting thing that I like to point out about normative relativism is notice that it's saying that everyone ought to act in accord with their own society's code. Uh, and this would, this would also hold if you were an, an individual relativist. So, but what it's saying is that... It, so let's talk about conventional ethical relativism. If morality is relative to the culture, if you that means that at the cultural level, there is no right or wrong answer as far as moral values and duties, right? One culture might think it's okay to steal things, and that's right for them, and another culture might think it's wrong to take things without asking, and that would be okay for them, and they would both be right. However, if you live in one of those societies, that moral code is binding for you. Notice it says you ought to act in accord with the agent society's code. So if you live in one of the societies, although morality is relative to the culture, if you live in that culture, you are bound by that morality. So it's actually in a way objective for you at the individual level. Now, but this can also work if, at the individual level as well. If you are a subjective ethical relativist and you think that morality is relative to the individual, you're still bound by your own code. I mean, so it could be possible for you to just change your mind from one second to the next, but what it's really basically saying is that you decide what you think is right and wrong, and then you are bound by that code. You're supposed to follow what you think is right and wrong. Now, you could change your mind, and you would be right at, at, at any given moment, uh, so it could be possible for you to kind of do whatever you want as they think. Uh, but you're supposed to basically act in accord with the morality that you chose. It's just that there's no right or wrong answers to the morality that you choose. Okay, But just throwing that out there. Now, the third type of relativism that I said I was going to mention is combinatorial relativism. This is an a, a interesting type of relativism in my mind. And I think the definition is a little easy to remember because you can kind of see what's going on with this type of relativism in the name of the thing. So combinatorial relativism is defined as the view that there are certain moral principles which are determined subjectively but are objectively binding on all moral agents. So you see why this is, maybe you can see why this is called a combinatorial relativism because it's a little bit of a combination of both subjectivity and objectivity. 
A combinatorial relativism is something that usually say that you can basically do what you want, but then there's this one rule that's binding on everybody. Uh, just to give you some examples, so if you've ever heard this, the statement, we have a duty to pursue the good life and should allow others to do the same. Uh, that would be a kind of combinatorial relativism. You know, depending on who's saying it, they might think that it's up to you to choose what the good life is. Uh, but at the end of it, it says, but you should allow others to do the same. So you could determine what the good life is for you, and that would be the subjective part of it. But the objective part is that you are bound to let other people pursue what they think the good life is. I think it may be a more popular version of combinatorial relativism. Maybe something that we've all heard is, uh, we have a duty not to harm others. Uh, another way of saying that is, do whatever you want just as long as you don't hurt anybody. I know I've heard that all the time in our culture. People say, well, you know, I'm not religious, but we are uh, we are moral people. You know, we my parents taught me that I can do whatever I want. Just make sure I never hurt anybody. And so that makes me a good person. And that would be, if you can tell, that would be a type of combinatorial relativism, right? Do whatever you want. So it's saying that most ethical uh, issues are going to be up to you. But there's this one binding rule on you and everybody else. You, whatever that is that you're doing, it can't hurt someone else. So that would be a type of combinatorial relativism. Okay. Now, the last type of relativism I wanted to mention is called the principle of tolerance. Uh, and here we have the, it defined as the view that people ought to tolerate to varying degrees the moral beliefs of other cultures or individuals. Now, this is another type of relativism. Well, actually, the principle of tolerance doesn't have to be a type of relativism, by the way. There's, there's two, there, in, in the history of Western thought, you see there's two types of the principle of tolerance. One of them is relative, the other one isn't necessarily relative, okay? So we make a distinction between the classical principle of tolerance and what's called the modern principle of tolerance. The classical principle of tolerance is called the classical principle of tolerance because this is what our society has, had believed for a really long time. It's not until postmodern times, really, these last couple centuries, that the modern principle of tolerance has really started to, to kick off. And I, and I really do think it is because of postmodern thought. But let me, let me define these, and then I'll talk about that. So the classical principle of tolerance is the view that people other than oneself with differing moral viewpoints ought to be valued as persons, although their moral beliefs are thought to be false. Okay, so the classical principle of tolerance is this old idea that it's okay to, to disagree with other people, but that doesn't mean that they're any less of a human being, okay? Um... I mean, I won't, I won't deny that in, in Western culture and in the history of the West, people haven't killed each other over their over silly differences and, and just who they are and where they're from. Uh, but at, at least as far as the ideals, you know, of maybe classical liberalism and, and whenever the West really started to value freedom and individuality and, and human rights, um, 
this is where this principle gets kicked off, and it was around for a while until postmodern times, really. And now we, we have more of the modern principle of tolerance a lot. Really, these two are going side by side these days, but the modern principle of tolerance is, is growing, it seems, a lot of times. And the modern principle of tolerance is defined as the view that it is wrong to judge the moral viewpoints of other cultures or individuals. So the classical principle of tolerance says it's okay to disagree with somebody. It's okay to believe that they're wrong in their, their religious or moral beliefs, but that doesn't make them any less of a person, so you're not supposed to burn their house down, or you're not supposed to go beat them up or kill them. The modern principle of tolerance says that it is wrong to judge the moral viewpoints of other cultures in the first place. So you're not even supposed to look at their beliefs and say that is right or wrong. It would be morally wrong to do so. So the modern principle of tolerance uh, says it's it's. Uh, immoral to judge other people and, and and that is a basically a type of ethical relativism because uh, and, and actually almost kind of a, a combinatorial relativism because it's saying that it's wrong for you to judge other people uh, no one is more right or wrong so therefore it is wrong to judge people's beliefs and like I said I think this is a this is a big byproduct of postmodernism. If you know what modern uh, philosophy is in the in the Western tradition, modern philosophy, following uh, philosophers like Rene Descartes, was really big on trying to find absolute, one hundred percent certain knowledge, knowledge that you couldn't doubt whatsoever. And after a hundred or two hundred, three hundred years of this modern project, uh, philosophers and and others started to kind of complain about it and kind of have this reaction to the modern project and say look we've been tr we've been trying to find absolute knowledge for hundreds of years now and it seems like we still are all having the same debates and we haven't come to conclusions and we haven't built these systems that we're 100% certain about so uh, some philosophers and, and others started to think that maybe truth wasn't a thing at all. And then you get what's called postmodernism, which is this reaction to modernism, uh, almost, I would say, an extreme like knee-jerk reaction that says, well, there's just no such thing as truth. So postmodernism is, is very uh, um, influenced by this idea that there's no such thing as truth. And it's really big on, on relativism, uh, Rel types of relativism of all sorts, but especially with truth. And um, now, but, you know, like they say, ideas have consequences. And our culture, postmodernism, has seeped down to the everyday person. So I think a lot of people think that if truth is relative, right, then saying that one person is wrong in their beliefs uh, over another person is, is just as silly as saying that one person is wrong for believing that Mexican food is the best, um, uh, just because someone else likes barbecue, right? So that's why they say it's wrong to judge others because no one's right. No one's objectively right in their beliefs, so it's wrong for you to say that they're wrong, right? So that's, that's the modern principle of tolerance. Now, having defined all of these, I want to move into talking about, um, just briefly, how some people argue for ethical relativism, okay? And I'm going to show you I think it's uh, about yeah four arguments for ethical relativism, and then uh, and I'm not going to spend too much time on them. I'm not going to really talk about why I think they're wrong because when we get into the arguments for objectivism, 
that's basically going to give an answer to a lot of these and just in my in my opinion just basically blow ethical relativism out of the water so you'll see how all this works so i just like to just mention these just to give you an idea of where the ethical relativists are coming you know it helps to put yourself in their shoes to see uh, you know why they think that uh, ethical relativism is is reasonable so the first argument for ethical relativism I like to mention is the argument from cultural diversity. Now, I didn't go too much into this, but uh, the reason why philosophers don't hold to descriptive relativism, if descriptive relativism is defined as this belief that all these cultures and all these people have different views on what's right and wrong, therefore morality is relative, that uh, that view, that person would be making... Uh, what we call the is-ought fallacy. Uh, they're, they're forgetting about the is-ought distinction and they're making a crucial mistake. So the, the problem is, and the reason why uh, philosophers don't hold to descriptive relativism, is that it is, it is a fallacy to think that just because the world is a certain way, that is the way the world ought to be. Um, and you can explain this in several ways. One way I like to talk about it is, okay, so... The, ma the major question in this relativism versus objectivism debate is whether morality is objective or not, right? But just because you say that a bunch of people believe, have different views on what's moral and what's not, that doesn't necessarily entail that there is no right or wrong answer, right? Say that I um, am about to give a math test in a classroom, and I pass out the test, and all the students take it, and I get my test back. If I say on the first question, there's some math question, and half of the class answered one thing and the other half answered another, if I were to then if I were to take that test and say, okay, my my students have different beliefs on what is the correct answer to mathematical questions, therefore mathematics is not an objective field of study because different people have different beliefs about it you could probably see how silly that conclusion would be. And the thing is, um, just because a lot of people think that morality is relative doesn't necessarily mean that just because people have different beliefs about it, that necessarily makes it relative, right? Uh, saying that people have different beliefs about what's right and wrong no more determines whether morality is objective or relative um, than it does to say that people have different answers on a math test, therefore mathematics is subjective if that makes sense. So um, the, this idea that descriptive relativism is true is, is highly rejected by professional philosophers. Now, having said all this, I mention this because the argument from cultural diversity is not making that mistake. This is an actual argument that some philosophers have made. And the argument from cultural diversity is the argument that the existence of such diverse moral beliefs across differing peoples in the world sheds doubt on the existence of one objectively true moral standard. Okay, So some philosophers have argued, they're, they're not arguing that different people have different beliefs, therefore morality is relative. They're just arguing that when you look at all the different people in the world, they do have, uh, a lot of them do have different, whether it's individually or at the cultural level, a lot of them do have different beliefs about what is right and wrong. And this doesn't necessarily entail that morality is objective, but it at least sheds doubt on the objectivity of morality. 
because they just emphasized that, look, if morality was objective, like mathematics, then it seems like, similar to mathematics, um, cultures throughout time would have really started to converge on this one set of rules or this one set of values. But since it looks like cultures and people have so many different views, it is likely that morality is not objective. Okay, So that's how that argument goes. Then you have the argument from the untenability of ethical objectivism. This is a somewhat similar way of arguing for ethical relativism. But this argument is the argument that because ethical objectivism is untenable, in other words, it is, uh, and th they'll argue for this in different ways. Uh, some argue it is uh, morality is based in quote-unquote outdated religious beliefs, and other people have argued that ethical objectivists cannot agree on any one particular objective ethical theory. Okay, so this, um, this argument is the argument that because ethical objectivism is untenable, it is either false or ethical relativism is more than likely to be true. So, like that definition mentions, ethical relativists will argue that if morality was objective, you would think that with so many Western philosophers thinking about ethics and moral questions of value and duties over so many hundreds and thousands of years, uh, philosophers and ethicists would have come to an agreement on things. But since even to this day, ethicists are still arguing over what is the best, uh, which is the best moral theory and what is the right and wrong thing to do in all these different uh, situations, the relativist says that it is more likely to be, uh, that ethical relative is more likely to be true than false. Because over all these years, you think they would have come to more agreement on these issues. Okay. Last two arguments. The second to last one is the argument from cognitive relativism. Um, this one's actually a, a more advanced argument that I actually thought about not including. But really quickly, um, if you ever study epistemology, uh, epistemology in Western philosophy is is uh, the the theory of knowledge. It's it's philosophizing about how we can know things and what's the nature of knowledge. In epistemology, they uh, a major definition of knowledge is justified true belief. And epistemology a lot of times is mainly about how are we justified in, in coming to our beliefs. Well, uh, in, in the study of epistemology, you come across a lot of skeptical arguments and other things. And, and because of skeptical reasons and, and other considerations, some people think that knowledge itself is relative to the individual, the culture. Okay, And people who believe that will just matter-of-factly state that if knowledge itself is relative to the individual or the culture, then it follows that so also um, ethical truths cannot be objective. They have to be also subjective to the individual or the culture. So that's just another way you can come about uh, arguing for relativism. I don't have time to argue against uh, skeptical arguments and go into that, but I just I just wanted to mention that really quickly. And then finally, you've got the argument from the principle of tolerance, and this one's easy to explain. Um, if someone held to the truth of the, the modern principle of tolerance, it would just follow that he or she must also hold to ethical relativism. And I pretty much mentioned this earlier. If you believe it is wrong to judge other people in their moral beliefs, 
then it practically makes you an ethical relativist because you can't say that any individual or culture is wrong in their ethical beliefs. So you've got yours and they've got theirs and everyone's going to be right. Or at least you're not allowed to judge them. So it's at least practically a type of ethical relativism. Okay. Now, having thrown those out there, uh, let me uh, talk about arguments against ethical relativism. And before I do, actually, I... In my class, I did like to mention why ethical objectivism uh, is so important for Christianity. The thing is, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of religions do believe in right and wrong, right? Uh, I mean, some religions uh, some religions don't have moral codes necessarily. Most of the world religions do, uh, but. Christianity especially uh, has, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' moral teachings, obviously, uh, not to mention the very concept of sin, right? Uh, the concept of sin is is that you have, if you do a certain act, it is, uh, and, if, and it's morally wrong, then you have offended God because God has given us these objective moral commands. And if you break those, it doesn't matter what your opinion about what right or wrong is, then you just deserve punishment, right? So, so objective morality is crucial to the, to, and foundational to Christian thought. If morality is relative and anyone can decide what is right and wrong for the, him or herself, then really this could mean that somebody could say, well, I'm not a sinner because I, I've never done anything wrong. Everything I believe, everything I believe in, I've done, and I've never broken my own code, so I'm not a sinner, right? So some people, if they think they can define what's right and wrong for themselves, then they're not going to really care about a gospel that says that God forgives sin, right? So uh, ethical objectivism is crucial if you are a Christian, and and you can't it really wouldn't make any sense for you to be an ethical relativist and also try to argue that you are a Christian because those two don't go together whatsoever, okay? So that is why uh, the belief in ethical objectivism is so crucial for Christians, and that's why I wanted to show you these arguments that, that I believe really blow ethical relativism out of the water and, and show that it is just uh, it is as bankrupt as, a, as an ethical, as a meta-ethical theory. So... The first one, really quickly, and I've already mentioned this, I kind of got ahead of myself, is the argument from the is-ought distinction. Um, my slide says, the argument. this is the argument emphasizing that describing how things are does not entail that this is how things ought to be. So we already mentioned that. If someone's a descriptive relativist and they say, well, there's so many people in the world with different ideas on what's right and wrong, therefore morality is uh, subjective, you can just point out that this person is making the is-ought fallacy and they are confusing with they are confusing what is with what ought to be and the the major point to remember is that just because the world is a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way the world ought to be right just because 10 different people have 10 different answers on a math test doesn't necessarily mean that mathematics itself is relative to the individual you have to look at what mathematics is you have to look at what ethics is and use other arguments to show whether it's objective or not you can't just say, well, people have different beliefs about it, so therefore it's relative. And uh, uh, so, um, But that one's not really controversial. Philosophers all agree on that, pretty much. Now, the next argument against ethical relativism is called the objection from the exaggeration of cultural diversity. 
Uh, and my slide says, this is the argument emphasizing that cultures may seem to have different values, but in reality they do not. They only have different ways of actualizing those values. This is a really interesting one, and I think this one's really important to remember. So we said that, that you really don't see uh, professional philosophers arguing for descriptive relativism, but you can have some people arguing for, uh, for relativism from the fact that people and cultures have different beliefs. They don't do it in the, in the incorrect way, but they say, you know, they don't say people have different beliefs, therefore it's relative. But they say people have had different beliefs for so long throughout the history of humanity, therefore it is likely that it is relative. Now, um, one thing that ethical objectivists have pushed back on this cultural diversity idea is that it actually exaggerates the differences between individuals and the differences between cultures. And this is another place where the uh, is-ought distinction is so important, okay? If you just remember that there's a, there's a distinction to be made between facts and values, it can actually clear things up. So an example to show you how this works is actually we can talk about what we discussed earlier in the lecture. If you remember the Greeks and the Kalatii, um, the Persian king Darius, and Herod actually Herodotus was trying to make the point that ethics seem to be relative to the culture. It doesn't matter uh, what's right and wrong. It just matters where you were born. Because in the story, the Greeks were just as disgusted as the Kalatii were, but, it, but they, were, they both did something that might be considered weird or, or detestable to the other group, right? Now, but the ethical objectivists will actually point out that both of these people groups actually shared the same value. They shared the same value, which is honor the dead, okay? It's, but they just... Um, they just instantiated this value in different ways. So basically it was more of a disagreement on facts than it was a disagreement on values. They both believed that you ought to honor the dead. They just did that in different cultural ways. And so even though it looks like morality is relative, actually both of those people groups have share the same value. And the ethical objectivist points out that a lot of apparent um, cultural differences actually turn out to, to be a shared value, okay? So even though cultures have different ways of playing these values out, whenever you look at it, a lot of cultures end up having the same values and the same duties. They just might be uh, played out in different cultural ways. Another example I've heard is, um, you know, I think it was... Oh, I don't know when it would have been. I think it was the 1800s or early 1900s. Western uh, researchers were traveling all over the world, and they, some of them started to travel north, and they ran into the, uh, the Eskimos, right? Now, some of the reports coming out of there were shocking people, and what was happening was uh, they discovered that you know, it's, it's, it was really harsh back then, obviously, and it was even harsher up in the north. And what was happening was they discovered that when Eskimos reached a certain age, uh, they would just be left at one point. They would just get to the point where, you know, because the Eskimos moved around a lot, they had, a, 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 I think it's a semi or, or nomadic or fully nomadic lifestyle. And they moved around a lot, trying, you know, following the food. 
and trying to stay warm. Well, at a certain point, when you reached a certain age, the whole tribe would just basically leave you to die of starvation and, and, and just leave you to the elements. And at first, everybody's really shocked and thought this was a really horrible practice that the uh, Eskimos were, were doing. But it, as it turns out, it actually was another case of shared values. Uh, the, the older people in the culture realized that if, they, if, the, if the whole tribe were to try to, every time someone got old to the point where they had to really rely on everyone else, if the tribe tried to take care of those people, basically everybody would die. Because it, it, life was so hard that if you tried to take care of the elderly after a certain point, it would slow everyone down such that they would all die. So it actually was it was honoring um, elderly people to do this. And it was also the elderly people um, valuing the lives of their tribe. So this was actually, a, even though it might sound like a horrible thing, it was just a reality for them. And it all came from their value of human life. And, and, a, and a little bit of honoring um, their elders. So this is just another example where you've got two people groups who at first seem to have different values, but the, those ex- differences are actually exaggerated. You, you realize that they, they do share values and they, and they are pretty much the same. And that's what the objectivist says, is that a lot of times the moral relativists, when they make this um, argument from cultural diversity, they're exaggerating the differences between cultures. And when you look at all cultures, all different cultures, you actually notice that most of them do have similar moral values. Most of them value life, and they have similar uh, rules like do not murder, do not kill, do not rape. Okay? Now, this next one is one of my favorites. These next couple, actually, are a couple of my favorites, what I, which I think are especially show that ethical relativism is bankrupt. Now, th- this one here is called The Argument from the Acceptability of Obvious Moral Wrongs. And here I've got it defined as the argument stating that ethical relativism entails that anything, no matter how heinous or universally rejected as morally wrong, is acceptable behavior relative to one's beliefs or culture. Okay, so what this argument states is this is where the ethical objectivist says, look, if moral relativism is true, if, rel- if morality is relative to the individual or to the culture, what that entails is that no individual and no culture is objectively correct. Uh, excuse me, objectively wrong. Each individual, each culture, and whatever they decided was right or wrong, just they are correct in their beliefs. But the problem with this is that some people, if, if ethical relativism were true, could do things and believe that it's okay to do certain things that are just uh, almost universally rejected as being okay. So uh, one example I, I like to give is, uh, and, and I, I, I don't remember the specifics of this, but I read one time that uh, in World War II, the Nazis, there was a certain um, camp where they had Jewish people uh, that they were exterminating, right? Um, and so at this concentration camp, they were killing off Jewish people here. And But they ran into kind of a logistics issue where they started to run out of bullets. <laughs> so they were, trying to, they were trying to figure out how they could keep killing Jews, but they just didn't have the bullets to do it. And their solution was 
um, they would so they would get truckloads of of more people in every day. And at one point, they they had a bunch of gasoline or oil or something like that. So they dug these ditches and they filled them with um, petroleum of some kind, gasoline or oil. And they would just back up these trucks full of kids and and other uh, people, and they would just push them off into the ditch. They would they would light the ditch on fire and just push people into this. And they would actually um, the Nazis station guards at the ends of the ditch because the kids and others would try to crawl out while they were on fire, you know, like anybody would to try to save their life. And the the uh, the guards were ordered to kick them back in. Now, let's say that ethical relativism is true. If ethical relativism were true, this would mean that the Nazis were correct in their moral beliefs. Since no culture has uh, any objective claim to, to have the true set of moral beliefs, the Nazis, it was okay for them to do that because they believed that was okay. Now, not only that, but if you think about it, uh, if you remember what I said with normative relativism, if morality is relative to the culture, then not only is each culture correct in its beliefs, but the citizens of that culture, uh, the members of that culture, are morally bound by that code. So if normative relativism were true, the, the conventional relativism says morality is relative to the culture, then not only was it okay for the Nazis to burn Jews alive in ditches, but it would actually be morally wrong if a guard uh, disobeyed orders and didn't kick kids and other people back into the ditch. And I think since it is so um, just self-evidently wrong to burn people alive, uh, and it, you know maybe you're you're sitting there and you don't want to say that morality is relative, or excuse me, that morality is objective, and you're saying, well, I think it's okay. I mean, you, I just. I think it's self-evidently wrong to do what they were doing. So, and because most cultures, most people... Now, I'm not saying that just because people believe it's wrong, it's, it's, it is wrong. I'm just saying that it seems to be self-evidently wrong, and we could make other arguments. I don't honestly don't think I have to argue that it's wrong that much. You should... Most people should probably see that it is wrong. But since it's obviously wrong to burn people alive, then ethical relativism can't be true. I mean, but you don't, it's not just burning people alive. Pick one. Uh, if ethical relativism is true, then some culture or some person could believe it's okay to rape people, and that person or that culture would be correct. And if you think that's true, then I think something is wrong, okay? So the, I think the argument from the acceptability of obvious moral wrongs is a very powerful argument. You can also bring up other things like, uh, you know, if, well, actually, let's, let's get into this. So the next argument is called the argument from the impossibility of moral advancement. Okay, and this uh, our slide says the argument emphasizing that it is impossible for cultures or individuals to become more or less moral if relativism is true. This is kind of another uh, uh, kind of reductio ad absurdum for ethical relativism. This argument is where the ethical objectivist emphasizes that nobody is is objectively correct in their moral beliefs if ethical relativism is true. And that holds for even for individuals and cultures across time, right? And what it, what it entails is if every culture and every individual is always right in his or her or its beliefs on what is right and wrong, 
then that even holds for the same culture, right? So what that entails is that no culture can actually be said to make moral advancements. Nobody gets uh, more correct in their moral beliefs. No one gets better. No one improves. And no one gets worse. And So one example of this is to say, if ethical relativism is true, then that means, for example, that the United States is no more morally advanced now than it was 400, uh, excuse me, uh, than it was 200 years ago, right? 200, 300 years ago. So, uh, for example, um, at one time, people in the United States obviously thought it was okay to own slaves. If ethical relativism is true, then the United States was was no more correct in their beliefs, was, or a better way to say it, the United States was no less, was no more wrong in their beliefs than they are today, right? So when, when, when it was okay to own slaves in the United States, that was the correct uh, belief because morality is relative to the culture. They were just right. And today, when we believe it's not okay to own slaves, we're right today. But we're no more right today than we were back then. Does that make sense? So if moral relativism is true, then it's impossible to have moral advancement. And this and slavery is just another example that you can bring out to people, whether you're talking about the argument for the impossibility of moral advancement or the argument for the acceptability of more obvious moral wrongs. If someone believes that morality is relative to the individual of their culture, then he or she must also believe that it's okay for someone to own slaves if they think that that is okay. But if, this, if you're talking to someone on the streets and you say, so do you think it's okay to own slaves? And if they say, no, I don't, well, you can say, well, uh, then, but if ethical relativism is true, that means it was actually okay for, for uh, you know, for, for Americans to own slaves. People could own slaves today, and that would be okay for them if they thought it was okay. So that's, that's the price of being an ethical relativist. You think that you have to agree that it's okay for people to believe that it's okay to rape kill and own slaves and that's true for them even though it's not true for you okay um, I think it's a very high price to pay another similar one is the reformers dilemma I, I think this one's a, kind of funny it's another reductio ad absurdum similar um, that's similar to the argument from the impossibility of moral advancement the reformers dilemma says that since there can since every culture is always right in its moral beliefs, no matter what time or place it is, if ethical relativism is true, then this means that reformers, people who try to reform their culture, are actually immoral people. So it's a dilemma because the ethical relativist doesn't want to say one or the other. Um, so if you think about famous reformers like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, and others, if ethical relativism is true, then Martin Luther King was wrong when he argued against the United States' beliefs, right? Because the United States would have been correct because there is no right or wrong answer across cultures. But if normative relativism is true and you're supposed to uh, adhere to your culture's code, then not only would Martin Luther King be wrong in saying that the United States was wrong in their beliefs at the time, but also he would be actually be an immoral person for arguing against his own society's code. And it would go with any famous reformer, whether it's Gandhi, 
Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, you know, just name a reformer, and they would all be immoral people because they're arguing against the society in which they live in's uh, moral code of the time. They're not only wrong, but they're immoral. But usually we don't think of these people as immoral, right? So it's, it's just another uh, price to pay uh, if you want to be a moral relativist. Uh, and I've got two more just really quickly. Um, one really, of course, uh, really bad thing about some types of relativism. Now, not all types of ethical relativism are like this, but some types can be self-defeating. Okay, especially the combinatorial kinds. Combinatorial kinds um, are are a little infamous for doing this because it really is hard to try to say that morality is going to be relative, but there should be this one rule that applies to somebody. Maybe you could go about doing that in in a in a non self defeating way, but you know, take for example the. Uh, the statement that everyone should live the good life and and allow others to do the same. Well, what if someone's idea of the good life is you know like Conan the Barbarian, where he thinks the best thing in life is to um, to plunder and kill, right? If he's allowed to decide what the good life is, then that's just what he should be able to do. But then there's this binding rule that says others should be uh, you know you should allow others to do the same. So that combinatorial relativism might in one sense say that um, I can decide what the good life is for myself, but I have to allow others to do the same. But what if, uh, you know, what if I live next to Conan? I'm supposed to allow him to pursue the good life, but his idea of the good life is to kill me and take all my stuff. So I'm both obligated and not obligated to stop him. So it it really becomes self-defeating. Not all types of ethical relativism are self-defeating, but that would be an example of it. You know, there's also problems that people have pointed out with this idea that you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. You know, that really isn't that great of a guide on on what to do. It might sound really common sense, uh, might sound like a common sense principle, but it actually, there's so many gray areas, you know. Um, I've heard of someone bring up the example of, well, well, you know, well, what if you're, uh, so you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody, you know. But what if, uh, what if like a rapist puts, you know, puts his his or her victims to sleep before that they he rapes them, um, and and actually is is really nice about it, and they didn't they didn't feel or 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 were conscious through any of it, and it was and it was maybe he or she did the raping over a, just like a few hours in the night when they were asleep anyways. So ultimately, it doesn't hurt them in any way, and they weren't even conscious of it. So that would be following the principle that do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. But we would still think that there seems to be something obviously wrong here. So so those types of uh, principles are really problematic as well. But having said that, let me just say one more thing against ethical relativism. Uh, especially this... Uh, This last argument I'll talk about is what's called the argument from the intolerance of the modern principle of tolerance. Okay, And this one says, it's the argument stating that those who hold to the modern principle of tolerance are often paradoxically intolerant of people who are intolerant. (laughs) Um, And really, this is just a specific way of pointing out that the modern principle of tolerance as a type of combinatorial relativism uh, really defeats itself. Uh, if you want to hold to the modern principle of tolerance, there's either two ways about it. You have to either 
just be a really hardcore um, ethical relativist, and, and which would just be practically chaotic, or you have to be a hypocrite, okay? What usually happens is that people who hold to the modern principle of tolerance unknowingly are just huge hypocrites. So think about what the modern principle of tolerance is saying. It's saying that it is wrong to judge other people's moral beliefs, right? So if I'm going to be a good modern principle of tolerance follower, when I'm going throughout my life, I can't judge anybody's moral beliefs whatsoever. So let's say that I'm walking around in my neighborhood at night and I come across the local gas station and somebody is robbing it. At that point, I can't look at that person and say, that is wrong, somebody needs to stop them, because it would be wrong for me to judge their moral beliefs. Maybe that person thinks it's okay to rob gas stations, so therefore it would be wrong of me to make the judgment that that person is wrong. So I would just have to put blinders on and say, oh, don't want to judge that person. I just need to mind my own business and hope I don't get robbed too. Uh, you know, and if I did get robbed, that would be okay because I don't want to judge people's uh, moral beliefs. So it would, if you, if everybody held to the modern principle of tolerance like it ought to be followed, then basically it would be chaos in society. But that's usually not what people who hold to the modern principle of tolerance do. Instead, they act hypocritically. And they will judge people for judging other people, if that makes sense. So, for example, um, oh, what was this example? So, uh, a number of years ago, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with who the comedian Kevin Hart is, he made a joke about Caitlyn Jenner, if you know who that is. Um, so, Kevin Hart uh, tweeted one time on, t on Twitter, he said he made some statement, uh, that was something close to the lines of, Caitlyn Jenner looks like a man in a dress. And Kevin Hart was making a joke. Now, a lot of people got upset and they said, Kevin Hart, you are a bigot. Who are you to judge Caitlyn Jenner's uh, choice of gender? Caitlyn Jenner wants to be a woman. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner can be a woman. Now, if, if these people, and it's not like I'm saying that they necessarily did, but it seems to be like this is usually the case when people get outraged at stuff like this, right? So these people are saying, who are you to say that Caitlyn Jenner is wrong, right? And they're saying that Kevin Hart is wrong. But let's think about this for a second. If Kevin Hart thinks it's okay to make fun of people because of their choice of gender, then that is Kevin Hart's moral belief. And what people are doing is saying that Kevin Hart is wrong for, saying, for making fun of Caitlyn Jenner. But the problem is that they are breaking their own principle, modern principle of tolerance because they are judging Kevin Hart's moral beliefs. So in using the modern principle of tolerance, they are judging other people's beliefs and they're being intolerant of other people's intolerance. But in doing so, they're either holding a self-defeating belief or they're just acting as hypocrites. So really, the modern principle of tolerance is extremely unlivable and or self-defeating. So I believe it should be rejected along with all the other types of ethical relativism. Okay, and uh, this is one of our longer ones, but it's really important. In the next video, we are going to be talking about um, 
the moral argument for God's existence. And the second premise of that argument has a lot to do with everything we talked about today. So I would say this is not only a good talk to have, a good lecture. Uh, it's good to know these concepts and be able to have reasons for defending ethical objectivism. If for nothing else, then it is crucial and foundational to Christianity. Uh, but yeah, let's let's look at these reflection questions, and I have actually might have uh, forgot to touch on some of this. Our first reflection question is, do moral arguments for God's existence state that atheists are incapable of being moral because they don't believe in God? And you know what? I actually have this on this slide, but this is actually something that we're going to talk about in the next lecture. I forgot about that when I mentioned those up front. But, but keep this in mind, though. These still are important, and we'll bring these over into the next one. The second question is, do moral arguments for God's existence state that atheists cannot even use terms like good or bad without reference to God? You'll also find that answer out in the next uh, in the next lecture if you don't already know the answer to these. The third question is, how does cultural relativism ultimately lead to individual relativism? And the fourth is, what provides a better explanation of universal human values? Is it ethical relativism or ethical objectivism? Um, you should have uh, no, we should have covered the answers to these last two at least the third and the fourth one about um, uh, cultural relativism leading to individual relativism and, and, and the other one. So if you are if you like these reflection questions, let me know if you want to answer these in the comment section of the YouTube video. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, feel free. Uh, but, you know, they're just some good questions to be thinking about to uh, emphasize what's important. Like I said, we're going to be changing quotes now. So I wanted to leave you uh, with a C.S. Lewis quote having to do with uh, morality and all this. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity on page 2, Human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do, in, do not in fact behave that way. They know the law of nature, they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. All right, so that's our... Uh, so that's our talk on ethical relativism and objectivism. Just wanted to make a quick plug for Southern Evangelical Seminary, like I do at the end of all these. If you are interested in, in learning more about apologetics, philosophy, theology, I highly recommend Southern Evangelical Seminary in uh, Matthews, North Carolina. They have all these online programs, everything from certificates and undergraduate degrees all the way to master degrees and uh, PhDs. And um, it is a great non-denominational seminary. I highly recommend it. If you are just interested in a free resource, I at least recommend you go to ses.edu and hover over the media button and click on the Why Trust the God of the Bible link, and it will take you to a free resource, a free apologetics ebook. Basically, um, that is 50 pages long. It defends the truth of Christianity, and it's a it's a great free resource for you. Also, I highly recommend Kingdom Preparatory Academy. If you are in the Lubbock area, Kingdom Preparatory Academy is a pre-K through 12 classical school um, that has a university model system where the students usually go to school only Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And um, I mean, there's there's different options. A lot of you can go Monday and Wednesday, and then the Friday is optional. You can add that on. So your student might just go on Monday and Wednesday and stay home for the rest of the week. It's it's very flexible, but it's a university model, and it's designed. And not it's not only classical education where your kids are taught how to think and not what to think, 
but it's also designed so that when your students, your, your kids get to college, it won't be a culture shock because they've been studying on their own for most of their uh, education. So I highly recommend it. It's a Christian classical school here in Lubbock, Texas. My kids go there and we love it. So, um, But in our next lecture, I'm going to be talking about the uh, moral argument for God's existence. And I can't wait to see you there. And I hope you have a great week and a, and a blessed day.